Brief one. The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. Who is Mark Batterson? Well, Mark is the head pastor of National Community Church, which is located in Washington, D.C. It's really one church in seven locations, and they use movie theaters as meeting places. They have a coffee shop that they converted by buying a crack house, and they turned it into a coffee shop. They take all the profits from it, and they give those to missions and kingdom work. Sort of a case of spiritual jujitsu. Brief two. What is the main point of the circle maker? Well, I see the main point of the circle maker as being that God can accomplish great things through his people when they pray and call on him. But we have to draw large circles to take our spiritual territory. So drawing a circle is symbolic of the limits of the spiritual territory that we want to claim. Mark himself circled D.C. and now has seven churches, a coffee house, and other ministries within the bounds of the circle he walked. The same with my pastor, Pastor Evans. He walked around the Oak Cliff area, and now the church owns much of the property he circled and is using it for community development as well as ministry, including recently even buying a golf course in the area to apply to ministry. Brief three, what are the key takeaways from the circle maker? Well, I would say that there are seven key takeaways. The first is that you have a dream from God, and it's a big dream that you really can't make happen. The second is you need to pray in order to make it happen because you've got to involve God in it. The third key point I would say is you need to pray hard to make it happen. The fourth thing I would say is that you need to pray with desperation to see it materialize. The fifth thing is prayer is hard work, but you only lose if you quit. You've got to pray through. The sixth key point is that you need to pray long over long terms and understand that the effects of your prayers can span time and space. And the seventh key point I would say is that your prayers generate ripple effects you may not fully see, but God knows. Can you give me some examples of these Pillars in action, brief four. Well, the first is I would use uh, Joseph, his story, to illustrate his first key point, which is that you have a dream from God. Joseph, of course, was the dreamer, the ultimate dreamer in the Bible. And as we may recall, he had this dream of his father, his mother, and all of his brothers bowing to him. And we may recall that as a result of that, his brothers became very jealous, that and the way that his father treated him. They threw him into a pit. He was carried by some traders to the land of Egypt, where he initially became a servant in the house of a a prison, the guy in charge of a lot of the soldiers for, for the Pharaoh, and that he was accused by that man's wife of having tried to rape her, thrown into prison, where he spent many years. And then eventually he came out of prison to became, become the prime minister of Egypt, second in command, second only to Pharaoh. And that all this was done for, for God's purposes, um, you know, to save really a whole, a whole nation, a whole race of people through whom salvation would come. So the second point, you need to pray to make it happen. All this time, of course, it tells us that God was with him. And so he got favor everywhere that he went. Why was God with him? God is with us when we pray, when we call on him. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. So Joseph drew near to him through prayer. His third point was you need to pray hard to make things happen. 
when you're in that kind of a situation, when you're literally in a pit, when you're literally in a jail, and by the way, the word tells us that he was had manacles, chains on his arms and legs while he was in prison. So this was no easy service that he did there. You, If you know the Lord, you're calling on him. And so he was calling on him and he was calling on him hard. Um, his fourth point was you need to pray with desperation to see it materialize. I think the most desperate that Joseph got during this whole um, situation was after he interpreted the dream for two folks, the baker and the wine steward, both of whom had been sent to prison by Pharaoh, the baker was killed, but the wine steward went back to service and was restored. And he had told him to remember him. Well, he didn't remember him for a couple of years. And he finally remembered him. But during those couple of years, Joseph got to the point where he didn't care about his dream anymore. He really just wanted to get out of prison. And so he was praying with desperation to get out. And God not only sprung him from prison, but elevated him to the position of prime minister where he could make happen what God had intended to happen all along when he gave him the dream. And so his fifth point was prayer is hard work, but you only lose if you quit. And so you need to learn how to pray through. Well, Joseph learned how to pray through, as we found that even though he really wanted to give up after the wine steward got out and it took two years for him to remember, remember Joseph, he was in pretty desperate shapes, but he kept praying. And this, he changed his prayer, though. It was just, Lord, get me out of here. You know, he wasn't praying for great things anymore. He just wanted to, to get out. God did more, though. He remembered his earlier prayers and he got him out. He didn't quit. That's the point, though. You can't quit praying. Because as one of my, as one of the pastors at my church said, Pastor G, Pastor Gibson, he said, God told him once when he was about to quit, he said, you'll win if you just don't quit. And so the sixth point was you need to pray long to see it happen. Joseph's time in, in prison, in service as a slave to this high ranking officer of Pharaoh's, this time period was probably around 13 years, almost half of his life to that point. Certainly that was a long time. But the other thing is that your prayers generate the final point, ripple effects that you may not fully see. When Joseph prayed, he had no idea that when he got out of prison, that he would be elevated to the, stat the statue of prime minister and that he would be responsible for saving the whole nation of Israel. And that someday, by the time they left Egypt, where they'd been put in captivity, there would be two million people that this nation would make up, that he had been responsible for saving. And in fact, you and I, the listener, if you know Jesus, we are in fact his descendants. As, as folks who are descendants of Abraham's faith, as Joseph was, we are part of what Joseph saved. Brief five. You've centered your illustrations around Joseph. What illustrations does Batterson use in the book? Well, he uses several. The first is Honey the Circle Maker, which he begins the book with. And Honey was a Jewish man during the time in between Jesus and the time of Malachi, that 400-year period when God didn't speak through the prophets. There was a time when Israel suffered a great drought, and they were in desperate straits. However, this guy, Honey, came forth and he drew a circle around himself. And he told the Lord, he said, I'm not going to leave this circle, Lord, until you send the rain. And so it began to rain when he, when he said that, but it was a gentle rain. And he said, not for such rain have I prayed, but I have prayed for rain that will fill the cisterns, that will fill the water pits. 
And so it began to pour raindrops as big as eggs, torrential rain poured down. And then he said, not for such rain have I asked, but for rain that glorifies you. And began a gentle and steady shower that continued and continued until the drought was over. And so uh, Honey is where he starts. He tells the story of Mother Dabney, who is a African-American wife of a pastor who they were called to come to Philadelphia by the Lord and start a church there. Her father, her husband was actually. And she covenanted with the Lord through prayer that she would pray for three years. That she would come at nine o'clock, that she would spend the whole day with the Lord in prayer. If he would break through in that neighborhood and if he would enable that neighborhood to be blessed and her husband's ministry to be blessed. And she did that. She said that she would fast for 72 hours a week, every week for two years. And she did it. And the glory of the Lord failed after she prayed that prayer. And in fact, her husband's church got so large that they had to, you know, expand and go to, to a larger standing room only. And then the Lord blessed her after the end of the time of her covenant to become a soul winner. So she became one that when she would pray, people would get saved. And so the very first time after that, that she prayed, uh, a couple of folks came, got saved immediately. And by the time in less than a week, more than 60 people had come to be saved. After Mother Dabney, he also has a story of Moses and the meat supplier. The people got tired of eating manna every day. And so they told, they told Moses, you know, geez, you know, we're tired of this back in Egypt. You know, we got... We got all this great food, you know, and out here we're just getting this manna stuff every day, day after day. And so God told Moses that he would supply them meat. Now, these are, there's two million people here, but God told him he would do it, and not just for a day, but he would do it for a month. And so what he did was he caused a great windstorm to come, and it captured and put to the ground a bunch of quail. How many, how many quail are we talking about? Well, quail stacked three feet deep over 700 square miles, enough to feed the people for a month, meat every day until they got tired of meat. And he also tells the story of Adam Taylor and what he calls the change boys. Uh, Adam Taylor had been a guy making a six-figure salary here in the United States, went on a one-week mission trip to Ethiopia, saw the condition of a lot of the orphans there when a kid came up, popped up from the sewer, who was staying down there in the sewer. And comes to find out there were a lot of orphans that were staying down there in the sewer. And he knew that was the call on his life. And so he started this ministry um, called the Change Boys. And amongst other things, his call to start a house where he himself and 22 such orphans lived with him. And he didn't know how he was going to finance it or what was going to happen. Uh, however, it turns out Mark Batterson's church was moved, amongst other things, to provide the least money for the first year on that house. Then he talks about Praying hard, the Japanese in their approach to math problems, how they set a really difficult math problem in front of American kids. And on average, American kids tried for 10 minutes and they gave up. Japanese kids, on the other hand, worked at it for 14 minutes. And the point is that effort is a part of it. And it, you need effort even in prayer uh, to accomplish something, is what Batterson's saying. He also tells the example of a guy who is planting carob trees and Honey encounters this guy. He asks him, how long does it take for these seeds to grow? The guy tells him 70 years. He asks him, 
You think you're going to be around 70 years to see this happen? He said, I don't know, but my grandfather and my father planted carob trees from which I have benefited. And now I'm planting carob trees for my children and my grandchildren to benefit from. And so understanding that prayers are not limited in time and space. And so praying these generational prayers. He also gives an example of oak trees that the Swedish Navy ordered planted on this island. And they, um, knowing that it takes 150 years for an oak tree to come to maturity, they planted it so that they could have 20,000 of these trees by the 21st century and could deliver lumber for the for naval ships so they'd have a sufficiently large fleet. Again, the idea is thinking long-term, you know, and praying long-term with your prayers. Then he talked about Hattie Beecher in his book, Great Story of a Lady We Know as Harriet Beecher Stowe, and how from a vision, she saw a vision, she said, of an old slave being beaten. And she wept, it touched her to her soul. She went home and started writing and wrote basically for a year and wrote the book we know as Uncle Tom's Cabin. And it was this book that was instrumental in starting the Civil War. In fact, she met Abraham Lincoln and he said to her, his reputative said to her, so you're the little lady who started this great war. But it was a war that ended slavery and that freed the United States from a great sin that we were carrying on with. And he also talked about Daniel. You may recall, of course, that Daniel fasted and prayed and that for 14 days he did this fasting and praying. And then he received the answer from Gabriel, who came down and and shared the answer, but told him from the time he'd begun to pray that the answer was sent on the way. But spiritual opposition came and he had to persist in his fasting and praying for 14 days. And at that point, the message was able to get to him. And so yet another point about the necessity to pray long, you know, and hard until the thing comes. You know, this point of his, if you don't quit, you win. Brief six. Why would you recommend this book? Well, I would recommend it for the stories. I thought that there was great research of odd and unusual stories that that illustrate his points. I would say people should read it for encouragement, secondly. Because prayer is hard work, you know, really is putting your time there day after day, you know, on your knees before the Lord. You have to give up something. But we just have to do it, do it every day in a disciplined way. And then I would say third, for the reminder, the reminder to write the vision, as Habakkuk said, and, and make it plain. Write down what God gives you, the dream that he gives you, you know, so that and pray about it continually. Circle it, you know, with prayer. Brief seven, practical to-dos as a result of this book. So what would you do as a result of this book from a practical standpoint? How would you implement it in your life? Well, the first thing that I would do is I would make it a point to pray daily, number one. Number two, I would pray long, understanding there's going to be some all-night prayers and try to give myself at least an hour a day at a minimum uh, to prayer, give that over to prayer for the Lord. The third thing is to write down a God dream and circle it daily, that is, pray about it daily. And then the fourth thing is, I want to pray generationally. I want to pray for my my kids, my sons, my children as yet unborn, um, my, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, until the Lord returns, that all of them would be saved, that they would all know the Lord, that they would all glorify His name. 
that there would be many ministers amongst them, a people that generation by generation that we grow in our knowledge of the Lord. Those are the points that I take away from it and I try to implement in my life. Hope you find the time to read this book and hope you get out of it as much as we did. Thank you. Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at ChristianBrief.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And hope you check out some of the other briefs at ChristianBrief.com.